Hi, I'm Iris Muller. I'm a certified rehabilitation counselor and a proud mom of two children, one of whom has quadriplegic cerebral palsy and is nonverbal. And I'm Alma Schneider, a licensed clinical social worker and the proud mom of four children, one of whom has Prader-Willi syndrome. In this podcast, we discuss the uncensored truth about raising kids with disabilities. Prepare to laugh, cry, and hopefully learn something new. This is Two Moms No Fluff. Hello, Alma. Welcome, everyone, to Two Moms No Fluff. This is a podcast where we talk about all things related to parenting children with disabilities. Welcome, 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 especially to those people who have never been here before. We hope you will get something out of our out of our episode. All right. So, Iris, you want to let everybody know what we're talking about today? Yes. Today we are going to talk about education, how we chose educational pathways for our children and what it entails and involves. And uh, hopefully you can find yourself somewhere in this wide spectrum between Alma and myself and uh, all that is in between. Yeah, there's a lot. We happen to have taken different paths from the very start. Um, And it's funny because as you're saying that, I'm thinking, I'll bet a lot of people, including myself, didn't even know that they had a choice. It never occurred to anyone that they even had a choice to do homeschooling or unschooling or going to a to a your district school or an out of district school. So there are many options, and uh, what we have chosen um, are both very different. So um, I should I start, Iris? Or Go for it, Alma. Okay, so. Um, as I said, I didn't even know that I had a choice, but had I had a choice or known that I had a choice, I definitely would not have chosen homeschooling because, um, my child is a real handful behaviorally. And I had four kids at the time or three kids at the time when he, no, four kids at the time when he went to school. And, um, for me, it was, oh my gosh, I'm going to have somebody other people taking care of him and I'm going to have a little, a little break. And again, I didn't, it didn't even occur to me that there would be a, an option for me to do that. Um, because there was a, it was a, it was called the, the developmental learning center. It was a special needs pre-K and they provided, um, all the therapies in the, in the preschool for him. And we went directly out of early intervention into this pre-K. So I think also that's another reason why people might not be aware that they have options because you're sort of, you're, you're, you're led by the hand. You're not, you're just following the professionals. We're all so early on in our journey by the time our kid goes to preschool that we're just following what anybody tells us. And I think we all kind of learn as we go along that, oh, there are other things that they didn't mention because they certainly didn't mention a homeschooling option and, or a typical preschool option, which we'll get into in a little while. But my kid went directly into the disabled uh, pre-K. It's called the special needs pre-K. And um, it was quite, quite, um simple at that time i didn't have to worry about him um having any issues at school because they kind of took care of him they never called me so it was a really it wasn't uh, i know that some people have a challenging time when they enter preschool for us and that might give open their eyes to other types of options for their kids but for me it was a very easy 
time. They never called me. There were never any issues. He was still young enough so that uh, behaviorally he wasn't getting into that much trouble. So I'll start there. Do you want to talk about your your beginning journey? Mm -hmm. Yes, I think, um, first of all, that uh, they don't mention uh, to the parents that there is other options because they're almost like systematically, there almost aren't any other options. And uh, the when, when I uh, already, when I had uh, my, my child, I already knew that I was going to homeschool and maybe even do like radical unschooling. I had my opinions, my philosophy about, you know, uh, education and knowledge and uh, when when my child turned out to be a child with a disability and not a typical child it complicated everything because especially all the early intervention programs are kind of geared to be delivered in a school setting and they they do all of that in group settings uh, whether it's like a a uh, you know in nursery or pre-K and whatever. And to get all of those services outside of the system is something almost outrageous that people haven't heard of. Mm -hmm. And uh, they also doubted not only like how and if uh, she would get the services that she needs if she's not going to a kind of a dedicated system for it, but also they, they were kind of like, this is going to be like a, a, a parent cannot handle the situation that is so mm -hmm. complex that it would, uh, we are kind of ruining her opportunities or her future by not sending her to a ready-made kind of, a, you know, program for kids with disabilities. So uh, I, I think um, obviously it's not, uh, it's not an easy pathway. And I, I do know of other uh, families that uh, do homeschooling with kids with disabilities. I don't know of other unschooling families with children with such complex disability. I, uh, I am not uh, sure if there are families out there. I really do want to connect with you guys. So just uh, let us know in the comments. Uh, but uh, it, it was kind of like really carving a pathway kind of step by step for a family and uh, for my child, maybe based on the ideology or the ideas that I had in mind and not wanting to give them up just because she has a disability. Yeah. And that's, that's, that brings up um, the point that we've discussed in other episodes about how we don't just show up as parents doing things for our kids. We have a whole life of experience and understanding about different philosophies, as you mentioned, when we are making these types of decisions or, or, or simply not the ability to think out of the box or to even think to think out of the box because if we've always been kind of a rule follower or if we showed up uh, I, i'm remembering you know as i mentioned in another episode when i was in middle school you only saw really seriously impaired kids in school who had you know who were in the basement and you had nothing to do with them that might be another reason why you might feel uh, terrified to send your kid to a to a typical school because they were going to be segregated that way. So we all come to the table with a bunch of different ideas about about what school or homeschooling is going to be like. For me, I had only heard about homeschooling from people who were um, very religious and made a point of not sending their children to school because they didn't want you know evolution or other ideas to enter. 
um, into their kids' curriculum. So that was my only understanding of homeschooling at the time when, when you know, he was a baby. So just a reminder that, you know, we bring a lot of our own, you know, I don't know if to call, we should call it baggage, but our own experiences when we are thinking about our kids' education. Yeah, and uh, I think for, for us, for, for me especially, it felt the idea of school as a place where you acquire knowledge was always kind of like foreign because you can't force someone to gain knowledge. You know, it always needs to come from an internal point of interest uh, that knowledge is acquired and you can't uh, draw a square on the floor and say, here is where knowledge acquisition happens. It happens throughout life in the most bizarre ways, in the most uh, kind of random interactions. And I wanted to offer that for my child, but then, you know, my child wasn't able to ask questions or show curiosity or handle objects in space and kind of put puzzles together, etc. And then it became really complicated. And um, I was kind of challenging myself with a question, how do we teach a child that cannot touch, manipulate, walk, try, ask, uh, read, turn pages, look at things in the typical way that uh, that I formerly thought education can happen uh, with. And, um, and and we had to reinvent a wheel for, for her in a wheelchair. <laughs> and uh, and it was, it was uh, an, an interesting journey. And I think that uh, in a way, there are many, many advantages to a pre-existing system because it's kind of, it, it alleviates some of the pressure of the parents of, uh, you know, knowing what to do next. It's already written, it's already planned. And sometimes in the early stages uh, with a young child with a new disability, it makes things much easier that uh, you don't have to kind of struggle so much on the <laughs> ABCs of education, literally. Uh, yeah. It's just uh, it's just for us, because it was so so important to me this is like this was a way to express my philosophy about the world through my kids that mm -hmm. that I insisted that I'm not going to give up uh, regardless of the disability uh, again like in retrospect is this the smartest pathway is this the best uh, idea or solution I don't know but I do know that we do need as a society as a you know maybe an educational system to offer those solutions to families. Mm -hmm. And many of the children and families that I know that are now homeschooling children with disabilities, unfortunately ended up in that route, not from a philosophical point of view, just because they had some kind of interaction with the educational system that rubbed them the wrong way. And, uh, and here I want to kind of uh, mention again the individualized educational plan that the schools are mandated to follow and I'll let you kind of take the stage a little bit and talk about that and how that can sometimes go right and wrong. Yes absolutely but I have a question for you first what what allowed you I mean I'm so honestly you just blow me away all the time but in terms of <laughs> In terms of taking that on, I mean, to me, it seems so incredibly overwhelming and to to take that on, to figure it all out with everything else you had going on physically with her. Um, and I imagine, you know, emotionally, all of the, the, the time that you have to spend um, helping her with different tasks. What 
how did you even begin the process of, you know, because you had to write the script, you had to write you, as you mentioned, you have to rewrite, the, uh, what's the expression, the, um, forget it, with the wheel, uh, mm -hmm. you, had to re you, had to, you had to create a whole new wheel, um, not reinvent the wheel, create a whole wheel. So what, how did you go about doing that? What was your first step, for example? Um, you know what, I, 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 <coughs> sorry about that. It's COVID. No, <laughs> I'm joking. It's, you're not allowed <laughs> to cough anymore. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, I think that it, it wasn't like a, a such like a, a big um, a, a big deal in terms of like um, okay, from tomorrow onward we'll be teaching at home. It, it right. was just a, a, almost like an internal kind of center that I had, and this is the approach that I wanted to take. I mm -hmm. think that uh, there is something behind that maybe about like a worldview that a person has mm -hmm. about success and happiness and priorities mm -hmm. and is happiness success <laughs> or success happiness. It's all mm -hmm. of those questions that you need to ask yourself as a parent, what it is that you hope for your child. And, mm -hmm. then, and then you kind of build things around that. And I think that for for Karen, for my daughter, when when we learned that she she has such a complex disability, the things that were very very important to me is that she has she's happy, and yes. and, and and every day that I can close the day and say that she was happy. And the other thing that I wanted to install in her is that she has control over her life circumstances. And even though she had such limited control over her body, that she does have control over her uh, environment and life circumstance and what happens to her every day. And that kind of dictated everything else. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that uh, maybe for some parents, the, the idea or the thought or the worry about school is that when you have like a three-year-old, that requires so much time and attention, like uh, again, in our situation with the feeding, it's also your situation here, uh, with the feeding and you, it's uh, every little bite is a serious choking hazard. And you have to uh, do so many uh, tiny manipulation with so much love and attention that you, the parent is absolutely fearful of just transitioning them to the hands of a stranger that don't love and care for them that much. And that kind of like puts them off from a traditional education system. Mm -hmm. And uh, putting all of those steps that need to be taken to create the environment and, and make it work even financially, you know, that both parents now can't work. One of them stays home to mm -hmm. take care of the, the child or children. Uh, I, I just want to say that the, the important thing is that maybe to know that there are options, that there are options. And, and sometimes, as you said, the system almost hides them from parents yeah. of children with special needs and disabilities. Yeah, and also you're, you're talking about, you know, the child being happy, but if the parent is so stressed, and I know that just getting a child who is, in a, is, who is using a wheelchair, what it takes for you to get out of the house, I've seen it myself, it's a whole production. So I would imagine that there's a lot less stress in that department. So it's not all, you know, more challenges doing it from home. There's a lot of relief that comes from not having to rush out of the house every day and and take all those steps to make, you know, to get everybody ready to get out. And that, you know, like how I feel on a snow day, like, even yeah. though I, I don't necessarily love that everybody's home, um, 
it's I don't have to rush and, and nobody has to, you know, necessarily get dressed the way that they would if they were leaving. So um, I would. Yes. I, yes. And no, like in, in a way, yes, it's not. A, I'm sure a family of four, like eight o'clock comes, everybody needs to catch their ride, have their lunch ready, etc. That might be like extremely hectic and uh, totally alleviated by homeschooling or unschooling. However, homeschooling is not, I want to reiterate, not what everybody experienced now during the pandemic that the kids were locked at home. We had tons of activities outside of the house. It was rare that we didn't leave the house on a certain day to do something outside and with other children. It's only when the pandemic hit that uh, also our kind of center of activity um, closed suddenly but uh, but uh, regardless it's uh, it, it's kind of like um, it's not in the same fashion like the kids do wake up whenever they w- want to wake up if yeah. you decide on a certain day that you don't want to go to like a judo for homeschooling families nothing would happen you know you do yeah, yeah. want it it's not a tragedy you don't have to bring a doctor's note so yeah. there is a lot a lot more freedom in it and uh, and you can also decide like uh, because our morning routine is so long Alma as you know like uh, breakfast yeah. is an hour and a half and then bathroom and, and dressing and everything is so long I wouldn't register my kids to any activities that started before 11 o'clock because it was just impossible I couldn't right. make it that would be stressful for me but uh, nevertheless the um, the essence is not that the kids stay at home and are socially isolated. Uh, it's the opposite. You just take kind of a hand pick exactly yeah. what you get involved with for them and what they like to. Yeah. So there's a lot more freedom in that, which is which is really nice. Um, so bringing up social socializing. So that's another um, uh, that's another issue that comes up, you know, as the kids get older, when everybody's in preschool and, uh, you know, everybody's sort of in the same boat and the kids are very young and not fully aware of, you know, the differences as the kids get older in school, it is, um, it's, it's tough. It can be tough. Um, you know, there are exclusionary behaviors, there are, you know, teachers, there's a, an unconscious bias, as we all know, um, for teachers and for for children and just for other adults, other staff in the schools. So there can be a lot of challenges. So constant communication in school is really necessary to, to, to keep your finger on the pulse of what's going on in the classroom and in the school, and especially in transition time from when there's not as much supervision by the teacher, because that's really when a lot of our problems started happening when people the kids had to line up um, when the kids had lunch there were all sorts of issues that that arose so communication is really important in school uh, for us we we started having some challenges very very early on um, starting in I would say first grade where uh, my son started feeling different from the other kids because he was pulled out for services and he wanted to be with his class um, so there were all sorts of issues with that and really having to talk to the teachers about pushing in, which is the term for when the therapists come into the classroom, as opposed to taking the children out, which is called pulling out, pull out sessions. Um, my son very early on, cause he's very, very social and wants to be in the mix at all times was very put off by being removed from the classroom. 
instead of having a, a discrete session while the class was going on. So I did speak up quite a bit and I was not listened to um, by the staff, unfortunately, for a very, very long time. But as soon as the changes were made, um, everything changed. And, you know, my son had been having meltdowns constantly every time he was pulled out. He was and they would say, well, he's real. His reading level is not going up. It's we don't know why I'm like. Well, maybe because he's tantruming every two seconds when you pull him out, how could he possibly learn anything if he's tantruming yeah. and crying and screaming? So it's so important, even from a very young age, we're talking first grade, this was happening, to to get those advocacy skills honed and bring someone, if you don't feel comfortable, a lot of us don't feel comfortable, um, it's a confrontation, you know, and this is one of the one of the downsides or upsides if you look at it in a different way because you learn how to be more proactive and more, um, you know, more of an act, ad, an advocate for your child by explaining to the staff who, you know, and these teams for the individualized education plan, we as parents are in the schools are a member of the team. We are just as important as the speech therapist, as the, as the paraprofessional, the aide in the class, um, as the as the OT, the occupational therapist, the teacher, we are a team member, and we need to always remember that what you know we we have a say in what goes on. So I did get a lot of pushback in those kind of situations, um, but they resulted in changes eventually, and things did improve. So it's you know all to say some school settings can be phenomenal. But we do have to, and where we don't have to do anything and you have a really professional staff in school that is on top of it, cares about your child, understands the disability. But unfortunately, more often than not, we have to really educate the team about what our kids needs are, what is not working. And if we are not being heard, it is perfectly acceptable and appropriate to bring in an expert who uh, sometimes it's better to, you know, it's helpful to have an objective person come in, uh, observe the situation and make recommendations rather than the parent. Um, so that's that's one way to improve things in the school setting. But it's it's really, you know, and I hate to say this, especially for people with young kids who are just starting this process, but it's really important that you stay on top of what is happening at school. And it's exhausting and it can be really emotionally taxing to have to ask for things, not get those things, and to push to get them because it might not be in our nature to push. Uh, for me, it is in my <laughs> it is indeed in my nature, but it still felt uncomfortable because having to advocate for these things is painful because at least for me, I hoped that boy, if people go into this profession, they're on top of it. They want the best for my child. And then when you find that they're giving you pushback and you have to fight for your child when you thought you had an, you know, an audience that was part of your team and wanting the best and, and giving you all this pushback, it's, it, that hurts. That hurts because it's yet another example of, oh my God, you know, nothing's easy. Like even, you know, et tu, Brute, it's like even people who you assume are going to be in your corner are not for a variety of reasons. And unfortunately, a lot of the reasons have to do with money for the, you know, in schools. 
it's um it's hard to have to keep fighting and nobody wants nobody wants to be fighting all the time it takes a lot of energy and it, it is emotionally taxing um when it's your child and you have to be the lioness for them yeah <laughs> and i Always. take it you don't have to deal with stuff in the same vein you know i'm sure you have other examples of that with homeschooling yeah i think that a lot of that or a lot of those battles are just not in the equation and there are so many ways in which uh, homeschooling and schooling uh, really does liberate you from dealing with yet another institution and another arena in which you have to fight for, uh, I guess, equipment, services, time with therapists, etc. Um, we had such a battlefield, you know, with the insurance companies and later on with the state with regards to like services at home, etc that uh, I, I always, when I heard from my friends and colleagues about like IP meetings and, uh, you know, all of those arguments that really shouldn't be there, it's all, all that is happening is that people are fighting over resources that are too slim to fit everybody and all their needs. But um, every time that I would hear about those, I'm just like, oh my gosh, at least this, I don't have to deal with that. And that's one, one way in which the stress level in my life is decreased due to homeschooling. Mm -hmm. But um, at the end of the day, I think I, I'm remembering now the picture, you know, that you sent to me of the lines and lines of gifts to all of the, you know, professionals in your son's school. And that every year at the end of the year, there's so many people to be grateful for in many different levels and it's just uh, it's also kind of uh, the maybe a take of that school experience that there are so many people involved and so many people that nevertheless at the end of the school year you are grateful to yes absolutely absolutely there's some great great staff and some not so great staff and you know like any other situation it's um you just have to you have to work on it to make it as good as it can be. There's a lot of potential, but it requires our intense involvement. And that's not so easy for people, people who work outside the home, people who work in the home and have a, you know, a, a challenging situation. It takes a lot of time and a lot of it's, it's it can be very stressful. Um, but it can pay off in the end. Some, you know, I like to, to, to be positive about it and think that people, the staff really do want to do the best for your child. Um, their intentions are good, but we have to, we are the experts on our kids and we really have to educate them every step of the way about what our child's needs are, what works at home. And, you know, we would hope that in the school setting that they can be the professionals and they can carry out and, and they'll implement what we uh, the suggestions that we make and they won't get defensive or, um, you know, categorically say, no, this is not going to work for your child and respect our input so that we can provide the best experience for our kids as possible. That's the goal. Um, I will continue on to say that once my son, uh, we, we had a lot of, you know, uh, uh, challenges socially in um, uh, leading up to middle school but once middle school hit it the shit really hit the fan and i'm gonna say shit i'm not gonna sugarcoat it it was a freaking nightmare and um we never intended on you know part of my intention my philosophy just as yours was with with homes the homeschooling um or unschooling philosophy 
my philosophy was expose my son to as you know as many neurotypical kids as possible so he could model their behavior so that the, the other kids can see um children with with disabilities so that it, when they grow up they can you know hopefully employ people with disabilities remembering my son or they could you know befriend people who have disabilities um but i always said that i would not be a martyr for inclusion because um we spent uh eight eight nine years in the public school system uh, and a lot of times i did feel like a martyr for inclusion it was really tough but once my son's uh, physical and emotional safety really um, started to deteriorate, I felt that we did have to protect him. And um, as the kids got older, he, his because of his behaviors and the other kids' behaviors, my son can be very provocative. That's you know some of the features of, of Prader-Willi syndrome, but a very common, very provocative behavior to get to get people to pay attention. Like a lot of neurotypical kids will, will, will try to get negative attention because it's some kind of attention. So when he felt excluded or he wanted to get a rise out of someone so that they'd pay attention to him, he would engage in provocative behaviors. Um, they weren't dealt with appropriately on many occasions by staff and it resulted in other kids really um, taking steps, going home, talking to their parents about it. And parents, we um, will talk about this more in a future episode, but uh, the police were called on my on Lincoln um, because the, a parent felt that the staff didn't um, deal with the situations properly. Uh, police were called, child welfare was called because the police were called. And um, at that point, as you might imagine, <laughs> I felt that my son was not safe in the public school system. Uh, we were explicitly told that they could not keep our son safe when once he went to high school, that they would not have the staff to deal with these types of situations. So we did choose to send him out of district, which I think the district was thrilled to, um, <laughs> to get us out of district. But um, that unfortunately became our journey where it, it ended up in um, an out-of-district placement that, you know, I have very mixed feelings about be uh, because my son has very mixed feelings about. And as Iris, you've mentioned, you know, in, in previous episodes, we really want to focus on how our children fare and what they want, how they feel, you know, where they get their joy. And it was really hard for me because my son did not want to go out of district. He wanted to desperately to stay in district. And that was when I had to step in and I had to make the choice for him with my husband because he was not safe anymore. And um, we couldn't keep um, we couldn't keep other kids from doing certain things. We we were not in school, so we couldn't keep our son from from saying certain things. So it was, you know, once you get to a point where you have to step in and make that decision and it's not it's not ideal. Our school, you know, where he is, is um, it's it's not a perfect fit. And um, my son is desperate to go back to, you know, a mainstream class in a in a school in our district, but we can't. We we just we could, but it's it's um, the the scale showed us that um, that sometimes you have to you have to make a make a very hard decision for the you know to keep the number one thing we have to do for our kids is keep them safe, and it was no longer safe for us. And that decision should never have to have been made 
by us. This is, um, we're going to bring it back to society now that, and, and the culture, school culture, just societal culture where the way people um, are, are not educating kids about other children, you know, with disabilities um, and how, how these things need to be dealt with in schools. And this is, um, you know, it is painful that our son is not, he's not able to be in a public school, not because of his behaviors, but because of what's available in his school setting. So yeah. that needs to change. Yeah, that, that needs to change. And I think that the attitudes of uh, parents of typical, neurotypical children also need to change because uh -huh. uh, some kids do walk around with a sign that like maybe gives them a bit of a leeway in mm -hmm. terms of their behavior. And when other parents of typical children can't forgive and uh, forget about uh, mishaps that happen because of lack of really ability, there is not, nothing there. It's that's a part of, of his disability. That's when society kind of shuts the door in our face as parents and uh, as a community, the community of people with disabilities. And this is a... Uh, this is where this hits so close to home without ever have, you know, sending my, my daughter to a school. It's just like a society is still in so many ways not ready for our children. And there's the, the flag is kind of waving. Yes, we will do whatever the individual with a disability chooses and will accommodate and include. But the reality is, as you experienced uh, firsthand, it is not so is not so when it uh, stops being easy and stops being exactly. self-explanatory on how do we you know, like you know do this for this individual then people are kind of like oh this is new it cannot be done it was never done before and this is where we have to kind of sometimes step in and recreate and sometimes you just like you're push to the wall and you don't have uh, the possibility you know when when someone calls uh, you know the police and the child welfare upon you then you're kind of like uh, okay my hands are up now I, I, yeah. this is the beyond what I can deal with as a normative law-abiding uh, parent and it, it's just so sad for me every time we talk about this story I'm just uh, so disappointed by society by the community because you live in a very good place Alma and your place that like really like shines themselves in like in being so inclusive and and yet the reality is not so so yeah. Well, and I, also, I, wanna, I think it's important. Thank you for saying that. I think it's also important. And I always want to reiterate this, that, um, you know, if our kids who do have, you know, behavioral issues, because I think you're right. I think that it's all, you know, unicorns and rainbows and flowers until there's a behavioral issue. <laughs> and then inclusion becomes, you know, Oh, too hard. So inclusion means dealing with children with behavioral issues as well as kids who might have a learning disability or, um, you know, something that's not as uh, uh, challenging to deal with in the classroom. Um, but I want to say that it's also important for the safety of children who are being affected by children who have the, the behavioral issues. I always want to say that, that just because um, I don't think that, you know, a child with a behavioral issue that is hurting someone with words or physically should be allowed to run rampant and continue harming um, children 
in, who are neurotypical in the in the school or children, other children who have disabilities. Um, but it is the responsibility of the school staff to figure out a way to have the kids not only coexist safely, but to be able to interact in a way that is going to be beneficial for everyone. And so the fact that our situation led to a parent calling the police because the situation wasn't being handled well in school, um, that speaks volumes and about the school's role, like the importance of, of figuring out ways. And I'm not, I'm not a school professional in that area, so I'm not even going to attempt to, I could certainly give suggestions, but I'm not, it's not my role. It shouldn't be our role as parents to have to instruct a school that accepts children who are different, who claims, as you mentioned, to be inclusive, but not, but not take care of the children and keep them all safe when they're children with with behaviors that could potentially be harmful again emotionally or physically that is not um this is during school hours this is not at home this is at school and it's if you say you're going to do it and take care of our kids and educate them then you better do it and keep everybody safe so yeah. The responsibility really lies in the in the in the staff of school, but that doesn't mean that we can't give our input. And I think it, it it's vital that we give our input as parents to because we have the most experience. You know, you may have thirty years experience dealing with kids with disabilities as a professional, but you've never lived with our child. So you you know everybody needs to listen to everyone else and keep everybody safe. So that's that's really important. I just yeah, and also just. Yeah, just with regards to what you mentioned earlier, it just even in rehabilitation counseling, the statistic is where uh, these are professionals that were kind of like, you know, are meant to deal with people with disabilities, but still a research on the amount of time that rehabilitation counselor uh, spend, they spend the vast majority of their time, you know, with the people with the least severe disabilities and the least amount of time with the people with the most severe disabilities. We are just biased kind of to go the easier route and to focus our attention on problems that are easier maybe to resolve yes. in a way. Mm -hmm. And, and this, is, this is where I think the system kind of in many ways neglects the kids and the adults later on with disabilities that needs the most attention because um, if the bias is there, that's where really inclusion counts. What have we done with the most severe case? And mm -hmm. if the option wasn't there, like throw a child out, out of the school district, let mm -hmm. someone else handle it, what would they have done? You know, yeah. I, and that's that's my question. And I'm sure between you and I, we can run it, at least a hundred different solutions to the problem. Mm -hmm. the The problem is when it's not solutions that they're asking for. They just want to eliminate the problem in a way. Yes. And yes. it's it's very sad. But many many parents are dealing with a facade of that kind of uh, you know in one way or another uh, where they feel that their kids with disabilities are being discriminated by the professionals that were placed mm -hmm. there to help them out and yes. that's uh, that's sad and frustrating yeah yeah it's very very challenging to navigate um any kind of a system for our kids but school school um i think 
is is extra tough because we're trying to socialize our kids as well as educate them. So we have the the educational piece that we're constantly having to to modify to make our kids as successful as possible, and for us to be on top of that, but also the social interactions. And it's funny you're reminding me that um, this conversation is reminding me that from from day one with all of our IEP meetings, we would always say or I would say, I couldn't care less about his academics. I just want to make, you know, I don't care at all. I want him to be able to get along with other kids, conflict, you know, as as little conflict as possible, and for him to be able to make friends. And that was number one for me, because as as we keep repeating in this this podcast, if there is stress, our kids aren't going to be able to learn. And if they feel excluded or sad, or angry or frustrated, they are not going to be able to take in any information to be able to learn. So to have the relaxed atmosphere where they feel safe and taken care of, um, that's 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 the most important piece. And unfortunately, that's the piece that is, uh, in my experience at least, and a lot of other parents I've spoken with, that's the that's the piece that is dealt with the least in school. Really fostering these relationships with kids and. Um, you know, a lot of it, unfortunately, has to do with the fact that staff are overworked, underpaid, have way too many kids to deal with, and they don't have the time to focus on that. But it's really the most, if we are going to be an inclusive society, the time and effort and money needs to go into making sure that all children feel accepted and safe, and that will allow them to be ready to learn, open to learn. Yeah, I, I just, as we are kind of summarizing the this whole school experience, I, I think that as a society, we also need to reevaluate maybe our values because uh, right now there is something kind of, I think, uh, skewed up in terms of the education system in the US. It's like all achievement oriented and everybody's kind of, um, you know, <laughs> on that line from uh, high school to college. And there isn't really an emphasis on the in-between, uh, mm-hmm. maybe creativity, other occupations that don't require academic skills at such and such level, but are extremely essential for our existence as a nation. And uh, I I think that at the end of the day, if you can imagine a new method of rating schools by annual survey, not a test, not a test people, an annual survey of the kids' well-being and level of happiness, emotional and physical well-being, what a change would that bring? If the emphasis was how well our children are doing then I'm sure inclusiveness in education would get a much higher level of priority because yeah. kids, by, by virtue of being with a child that has some sort of a physical, emotional, or cognitive disability, they re-appreciate what they have. And mm-hmm. they learn not only how to become more flexible thinkers and more adapted, uh, I guess, team players in a way, they also have a new appreciation of what they have in their life just by by being friends and, and being in the same classroom with child a child who has a different ability. And I think we're missing out on so much in our society just by really focusing so much on academic success. This is there is a very little correlation between academic success and happiness and life success sometimes. And, and we have to um maybe in a way advocate for our kids with disabilities, but by that we're also advocating for a better society. That's right. And and 
having kids not only appreciate what they have if they do not have that disability, but learning the special attributes that a child with a disability has that they might never have known had they not been sitting side by side with them in a classroom or in a, some kind of a, a structure, you know, it doesn't have to be a structured setting, but any kind of setting. Um, but, you know, a lot of kids with autism and other disabilities are brilliant, absolutely brilliant, and have skills that neurotypical children do not have. Even if someone is a high support need, a child with high support needs, they might be incredibly adept at, at um, you know, being creative in different ways with drawing or um, just, you know, anything, singing, having, having conversations about, about things that are interesting. There are so many, so many, you know, we're, it's not just a person with a disability. They are people. They have you know, all sorts of, all different aspects and just like we all do. And it's important for people uh, growing up young minds to be able to see that, oh, like I have, you know, a lot in common with that kid. I never would have thought that I did. You know, these aren't even conscious thoughts, but, you know, for example, my son loves the voice. He loves cooking shows. He can connect with other kids on those things, even though, you know, he might not be able to do the math that they do or, you know, write an essay on uh, the same way that they can. It's so important for kids to see the value in all aspects of our kids. And they're not going to see that unless they are in, if, unless they're in community with them. So it behooves, as you mentioned, it behooves schools to focus on this because it will make up for a, a happier, more inclusive society. And we all need to be working toward that. And it's a lot of work. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's a lot of work to be involved in all these things, but we do all sorts of other things for our kids. Let's, let's do this one as well. <laughs> okay. Um, thank you so much for sharing. And uh, I think that's, yeah. uh, that, that was deep. <laughs> what can I say? But um, yeah, but that was our bit on education. And uh, I think that uh, obviously <laughs> there's a lot to talk about education and it would come up in other episodes, but we're really, really happy if uh, people do comment and share their experiences and uh, what they find is the best route for their kids and what were the things that uh, happened with their child's education that we can all learn and grow from that. Alma, do you have anything you want to summarize with for today? Um, just keep an open mind. And if you see a child who um, is no longer in your school that might have had a disability, reach out to them and try to create community with them outside of school. And I have many other things to say, but we'll save them for future, future episodes. A lot to talk about with education, and we will have... Um, and um, more episodes having speakers come talk about IEPs and the best way to to write IEPs and all sorts of other things related to to uh, honing skills to to make your child as successful as possible in the education arena. Thank you so much, Alma. See Thank you next you. time. Bye. 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 For more information, please go to www.twomomsnofluff.com. Thank you. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and give it a five-star rating so more people can hear it. Thank you.